Hello, my name is Stella Amis. I'm a tax partner at PwC and welcome to the latest episode of our Talking Tax podcast. Now we've come to that time of year when we are dusting off our crystal balls and we start to look forward to the budget. This is the major tax event of the year when we get to see the state of the finances and what new measures we're going to have to contend with. This year, the Chancellor has announced a budget, in theory, his last before Brexit, to take place on Monday the 29th of October. And for me, that B word is a critical backdrop to this year's financial review. The move to hold the autumn budget on a Monday, the first time since 1962, no less, and in October, took a few people by surprise. So why do we have a budget nearly a month earlier than we've become accustomed to? Anna, your thoughts on that? Yeah, of course, Stella. So um, as you already said, it's, it's been brought forward and it's to avoid that B word that you mentioned, Brexit, and in particular, the political um, sort of machinations and football that we can expect in Parliament in the remaining six months of the Article 50 process. And of course, that's not just about any legislation arising from a deal, which we still see as more likely than not, but also the Brexit legislation that's already working its way through Parliament, things like the Trade Bill, the Agriculture Bill, etc. I would probably say that the Chancellor is rather optimistic um, in thinking that by bringing forward the budget, he's going to uh, to miss all of that political uh, football. We've already seen the DUP talking about being prepared to vote down the budget yeah. if the deal doesn't satisfy their needs in terms of the Republic of Ireland and Northern Ireland border. <clears throat> and I was up in Glasgow at the SNP conference a couple of weeks ago, and I think one of the great unwritten stories from Ian Blackford's uh, speech there, he's the SNP leader in Westminster, was that they were going to cause, and I, I, I quote, we will not hesitate to cause maximum disruption to the Tory agenda if needed. Uh, so again, you can see, uh, we were talking this time last year about the um, a political rock and a hard place that the Chancellor finds himself in with a parliamentary minority. I think that's even more acute this year, coming as we do into the final furlongs of Brexit. So something obviously the Chancellor will be more than wise to. So he's got a very difficult political landscape to deal with and not the easiest economic landscape that he's trying to plan and budget around. So Ian, with that backdrop, <laughs> what can you do on the tax front? Well, I mean, I th first of all, on spending, uh, the Prime Minister's stolen his thunder somewhat by already announcing obviously an extra 20 billion a year for the NHS, uh, a freezing of fuel duty, and of course, an end to austerity. Now, there's some pretty big IOUs that the Prime Minister has written that the Chancellor needs to work out uh, how to repay. But of course, you know, the politics of raising tax uh, has and have been quite difficult so far in this mm. Parliament. Yeah. So, Ian, does he feel like the Chancellor's actually got one, on, one of his arms tied behind his back with what he's going to do on tax measures? Well, I think so, because, you know, there's no majority in Parliament, as we know. So Parliament is on a knife edge when it comes to any policy uh, at the moment. Uh, and of course, he had to row back from the class four national insurance rise uh, in a previous budget. Uh, so I think any tax rises are always going to be controversial and always going to be difficult to get through Parliament. But I do think we'll probably see a little bit of tinkering around the edges. Yeah, I think I think the challenge, you're, you're absolutely right to allude back to April or March, whenever it was pre-2017 election and the challenges you had around NICS. It also reminds me in some ways of Osborne's budget in 2016 pre-referendum, um, where his Brexiteers within his own party voted down a number of measures, not necessarily because they disagreed with the economic intent or the policy intent, but actually because it was part of a broader political discourse around discrediting certain members of, of the House and what it was that they 
stood for, not in a, in a budget context, but in a Brexit context. But all that said, all the indicators are that, that some tax may need to be raised. Yeah. So yeah. With, with, again, with that backdrop, what do you think you could do, Ian? Yeah, so uh, I don't think we'll see any big rate rises necessarily. Um, but, you know, I think there'll be a number of smaller measures that will bring in kind of one, two billion uh, each. Uh, really targeted at what I think are the very wealthy. So uh, certainly pensions tax relief for those earning over £150,000, I think will, will be further cut. Uh, and also potentially a challenge to the capital gains tax annual exemption for the wealthy as well. There's tax to be raised there by, by reducing uh, those numbers. I mean, the other thing he could do uh, is to freeze the increase in the personal allowance and also freeze uh, the increase in the higher rate threshold to £50,000. That, of course, creates a fiscal drag effect. So more 20% taxpayers get put, go into the 40% band uh, and people who aren't paying tax at the moment would go into the 20% band. So not really a tax rate rise, uh, but more people paying tax uh, at a higher level. But I do think the focus will be on the highest earners uh, in terms of bearing the, the biggest tax rises, as I think the Chancellor will tack somewhat towards the centre uh, ground politically, again, to maybe, you know, to maybe keep some of those Brexiteers off his back. And uh, just the other thing I'd say on that, of course, there's the 20 billion um, uh, that the Prime Minister already mentioned, but she also talked at conference about ending austerity, um, all while trying to keep the deficit reduction targets on track. He's in even more uh, in an enviable position this year than he probably was last year. Yeah, and I think he's, he has a deadline of the 2025, I think, that he needs to meet, um, as well as having his hands tied behind his back on some That's of the measures right. that Ian talked about. Now, Ian, we have seen a lot of talk in the press about IRC. 35. Yeah, yeah. Is that something, do you think, the Chancellor will talk about? Yeah, almost certainly. So uh, the IR35 rules that apply to off-payroll workers, um, there's already been a change in the public sector, which effectively put the burden uh, of tax status onto the public sector rather than the worker themselves. Uh, and so it's a relatively easy move now to extend that to the private sector. The legislation uh, is effectively already written. And there was a consultation in the summer uh, uh, which I think will now result uh, in legislation coming in either April 19 or April 20. A really big change, actually, for some private sector employers. Uh, and we might see, actually, uh, that drive behavioural change and we'll see more people becoming employed uh, rather than uh, contracting, uh, just so the private sector can be sure of tax status and kind of manage the tax risk on that area. So there's potentially some revenue to be raised there. So almost certainly I think that will come in. Uh, but, I mean, Stella, you're the corporate tax expert here. Uh, I'm reading a lot still about digital business and, and internet companies and the tax status of those. So I guess is that another big tax rise coming? Yeah, I mean, and you're right. So thanks for the nice segue into what happens in the world of corporate tax. Um, it is, again, another area that we keep reading about in the newspapers. Uh, and it is something that the Chancellor is under pressure about. And he's kept his options open with his statement to say that he might go ahead of the pack and introduce a digital services tax before the rest of Europe and other parts of the world do. Um, I think it's between a rock and a hard place, you know, our favourite term when we kind of have these conversations, Anna. Um, on one hand, he's under pressure to do something. Yeah. On the other hand, if he does something, does that send a signal to say that the UK isn't necessarily open for business or it's actually a high tax government that we've got here? Clearly not something he'd want to do. Yeah. Um, on balance, I think he may well go early and do something, but he'll give himself a bit of wiggle room by leaving an introduction date of sometime next year. That leaves us a bit more breathing space to get through Brexit and to allow the international community to catch up because we are expecting to see something from the EU in December. 
a microcosm really for where the government finds itself in terms of being in a bit of a holding pattern while they wait for international agreement. Yeah, yeah, and I think that this budget might be actually, there might be a lot of that in this mm. budget discussion. So we're given all of that and then the political landscape, the economic landscape, do you think that this is going to be the only budget we're going to see in the next few months? Well, I mean, I mean, I, to be honest, I do think there's a possibility that there will be a budget next spring. When the Chancellor announced that the budget timetable was for one fiscal event a year, he did put a caveat in there, of course, which is the government retains the option to make changes to fiscal policy in the spring statement if economic circumstances require it. With Brexit coming, who knows, uh, who knows uh, whether that test will be met. But my bet will be that the spring statement will be effectively a budget in all but name again. Do you agree, Anna? Um, well, oh, okay. I mean, obviously, obviously making predictions in politics, very difficult. I get them wrong all the time, by the way, <laughs> yes. I, I should say. I've called every election wrong for uh, <laughs> the last four, so. And, there will, and that's the point, isn't it? Question yeah. mark about whether we have any other electoral event between now and when a spring budget yeah. might take place. Yeah. But assuming not, and assuming that we do leave the Article 50 negotiations with a deal, which we as a firm do believe is still more likely than not, in spite of the showmanship that we will undoubtedly see in the coming weeks, he could arguably say in the spring that actually we still don't know the contours of the trade deal between mm -hmm. us and the EU because people often forget that coming out of Article 50 we will have the exit agreement and maybe some high level ambitions around the future trade relationship. The reality is we won't know that detail until beyond Article 50 and beyond May next year. So he could argue that I still need to wait and I still need to um, wait until I see the contours of the negotiations before I make any big policy decisions. I hope that that wouldn't be the case because that would mean kicking some of these long these long burn issues further down the grass. The grass, how we create a sustainable yeah. footing for public finances, how we tax the modern economy, and I simply think that we as economy can't really afford to wait to tackle those important problems. I guess there is another option. Um, maybe it's the halfway house between our two positions, yeah. Anna, which is if someone announces some stuff in the budget in a couple of weeks time, but actually that stuff's gonna be implemented in maybe two, three years time. So it sort of builds in, mm. you know, the costed and uh, revenue, uh, but actually the implementation is after 2019. That might give him some wiggle room and he addresses some of the challenges without too much immediate disruption. You know, so maybe we'll, we'll, we'll see that. So maybe some more consultations announced and things like that, rather than big firm policies which come in from next April. I think that's a good shout. Okay, so it wouldn't be a budget kind of podcast without yeah. asking that kind of killer question. So, and I'm going to put you on the spot, and usually it's me on the other side of the table. Yeah. So, I'm quite <laughs> so about you're it. enjoying yeah. this yeah. one. It's all good. Yeah. Um, so, if you had one thing that you want the Chancellor would really like to do, not necessarily that he will do, but you really ought to do, what would it be, Anna? I'm really sad to say I'm still looking for what I was looking for this time last year, which is a strategic roadmap for where we want the economy to be in five years' time or even a few years' time, um, not just in the context of Brexit, but in the context of technology, which we know will be at least as big a disruptor to the way that we all live and work. I think for me, I mean, I'd, I'd certainly uh, echo those comments on broader reform. Um, but obviously the politics now uh, do, do I appreciate make it difficult for the Chancellor. So I guess two smaller things uh, that I'd like to see. Firstly, sort out the lifetime ISA, um, which, which could potentially be a great product, but actually young people aren't using because of some of the, the penalties uh, in that. So I think if it sorts out, that would be a really good thing for young taxpayers. And also tackle the approved share option regime. Uh, it's very popular, employees only shares in their employer, but again, the rules are a bit complicated. So I think he could tackle that, reform that uh, without costing, uh, without uh, spending too much money. So those two simple things will be what I put on the Chancellor's uh, uh, desk pre-budget.
And of course, the latter one on that would at least go some way to um, meeting the challenge set by Labour at their conference around Indeed. employee ownership. And I think a commentator said of the major government in the 1990s that if you want to know what the Conservatives are going to do, then look at Labour and Harvard. Yeah. Uh, so that might be Not a good a example call. of yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, uh, absolutely. absolutely. And, I, and I think that's another reason why it may well be in the budget in a couple of weeks' time. Yeah. So interesting. I think, you know, the, the, your first kind of comments demonstrate that really actually coming back in the spring might be a good idea because yeah. once the dust has settled a little bit, appreciate Anna not entirely fully because um, we're a long way to go on the post-Brexit kind of settlement, but once the dust has settled a little bit, he might then have a bit more room to actually try and be a bit braver, to start treating the kind of the parliamentary cycle as you would normally and actually make some bolder moves to reform in some of the key areas. Yeah. Yeah, okay, great. so let me wrap up. Um, it's definitely going to be an interesting couple of weeks as we warm up towards budget. Um, and the Chancellor really does have a, a navigate to navigate a, a tightrope. Um, please do keep checking back to our budget um, kind of output. Um, Anna, Ian, thank you so much again for your insights. Let's hope when we're back here again next year, we've got a different kind of picture to paint. So for updates on the day, follow us on pwc.co.uk forward slash budget. Mm -hmm.